Greetings, friend. Today I have the privilege of sharing with you the, mess, the next message in our series on the King from Heaven. And it's a sermon series from the book of Matthew, and it's studying the Lord Jesus, and he is the King who was sent from heaven. And as we have progressed through the book, we've seen the story of his birth and his early works, his temptation in the desert, and then his success over the enemy, and then his mighty works. And then we started into his first teaching body, which is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And then um, we are just now finishing that up. And so the end of the Sermon on the Mount is the passage that we have for today. And so let me read this uh, conclusion of Jesus's teaching here, and then we will begin to talk about it. So from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, the, um, the text says, <clears throat> Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So here we have um, Jesus teaching that if you listen to him and his words and you put them into practice, there is a great difference in your life. So um, in order to try to present this material in a clear way that we could understand together, I basically have four points. And so the first point is, think for a minute about the speaker. The first point is the speaker. So what do we know about the speaker? Well, Jesus has just been teaching the entire Sermon on the Mount. And he says in verse 24, Therefore, one who, er, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice. So Jesus points to his own words. He says, those who hear these words of mine, these are my words, I'm teaching you. And this is not the first time in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, you've heard it said before, but I say to you, I tell you the truth. You, and he tells you, listen to me. And he says, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so Jesus aligns himself with the scriptures and all of God's revealed truth. And he says, I have fulfilled these things and I'm speaking to you. When we think about the fact of who Jesus is, we've already witnessed his miraculous birth and his ability to resist Satan and, and his um, clear recognition of himself as the Messiah, the, the son of God, God himself, the one who was promised to be born. And his perfect life and his ability to overcome sin. And now he speaks with such great authority. Even at the end of this message, the people marveled because he spoke as one who had authority and not as their own teachers of the law. So this is God himself and he knows everything. And he's told us what to do and how to live. He's told us that it's it's better to be um, poor and, and meek and humble than it is to be haughty and proud. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, the ones who do not have to win all the time, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and the merciful, and the pure in heart, and the peacemakers, and even those who are persecuted for Jesus' sake. So he says all these amazing, wonderful things, and he wants us to understand who he is, and he wraps it all up, and how is the king of kings, how is this king from heaven, 
this great and mighty teacher, this God incarnate, this God-man person, how is he going to wrap it up? How is he going to apply it? And he basically gives this very interesting illustration. He talks about two responses to his teaching. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice or hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. And so how you and I respond to Jesus's words makes all of the difference in this story and these stories that Jesus tells. One put the person, the wise person is the one who puts them into practice and it's like building a house on a rock. But a person who does not put Jesus's teaching into practice, who does something else, it doesn't matter what else they do, the fact that they do not put Jesus's practice, his words into practice, means that they are foolish. And it's like building their house on a non-foundation. So it's not that uh, you have more than one choice. It's it's really just one choice. There's not many options that work. There's one option that works, and that's the foundation of Jesus as a person and as his teaching. And, and thankfully, it's more that we have than just his teaching. We actually have himself as well. And so we can know him and have a relationship with him. So the first thing we consider here at the end is Jesus points out these words of mine. I am speaking to you with authority, and I am telling you, that you need to listen to me. And how you respond to me makes all the difference. I am the one who fulfills God's law. I am the one who knows about how God's work, uh, God works and how his word applies. I am the one who can give you a relationship with the Father. And so we're supposed to hear these words of his and put them into practice. So the speaker is God himself. And he's telling us this very simple simple story. You either pay attention or you don't, and the results are cosmic in their implication. So the second thing that I notice in this text is the storm. Notice how the Lord Jesus uh, says it. In verse 25, he says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And so Jesus describes the storm and the storm is exactly the same in both persons' lives. So this, this verse 25 and the following verse 26 and 7, they have the exact same description of the storm. It contains rain. It contains rising streams, floodwaters, a, a, a rare yet nevertheless predictable result of rain, uh, floodwaters, and floods come up, and then winds winds that blow and beat against the house. Have you ever been out in a, a heavy wind, a strong wind? It's funny, it's it's like a sustained wind and yet it comes to us and blows and it, it gusts heavier and more, and oh, I don't think I can stand and then there's a slight waning and then another burst of wind comes and it blows and it cuts through us and if it's cold wind, it cuts through the temperature and just makes us so afraid. I, I don't know if you've noticed it, but Man, the first time every year that I have to stand outside the car and pump the gas in the winter time, that wind is so cold. And I say, yep, winter has come. I remember that. It seems like the first time every year. I've already had it once this year, pumping gas in the cold November winds. The winds blow and they beat. They, they, they escalate and buffet our lives. And then they, they wane for a bit. And then another wave of it. And then 
imagine the rain coming with it. It's sheets of rain, but it's not a steady rain. It's it's heavier sometimes and lighter than others. And then the flood comes and it rises up and it looks like we're never going to stand it. And it's overflowing over our heads. And then it comes more and, and we feel like we're overwhelmed. And, and that is a very artistic and accurate description of life. The storms of life come and they blow and they beat against us. And there might be a, a, a lull in the storm and then it comes and beats against us some more. And bam, 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 bam. And come on, not so hard. And yet the wind just keeps coming and coming. I think it'd be beneficial for us to take a moment here and, um, and meditate on what, what are the storms of life? What are these storms? What, what, what are examples of life? Just to, to put some, uh, some illustrations or some uh, practical applications maybe onto this warning of Jesus. And so in that process, I, I thought of seven aspects of the storm of life. Maybe this is um, me just telling me you my life, but I think they apply to all of us in general. And the first uh, aspect of life's storms, what are the, if I were going to answer the question, what are the storms that Jesus is talking about? My first answer was, uh, is the curse of a broken world. So what are the storms? One of them is the curse of living in a broken world. When, when, San, when Adam and Eve sinned, and we all fell into sin, the earth was cursed. And, and God said that it was through the sweat of our brow that we would have to labor and, and that the earth would not produce its fruit for us anymore. Life would be a pain in the neck. And, and it's really true. Things break down and rust happens and, and, um, and decay happens and, and, and erosion happens in our yards. And you know, our house is now, we built our house almost, uh, oh man, I think it's almost 30 years ago. And it's, the house didn't sink, but the world around it got higher. I guess after so many years of putting mulch around it, they, the, uh, I started burying the house. And so now the mulch is up to the windows in the basement instead of being nice and separate from the windows. And then that causes the wood and the in the window frames to get to stay wet too long and the water splashes up on them and so I had to replace the windows because of the the rotting wood around the window frames and it's just life is a never-ending battle of having to deal with stressful breakdowns on just the world around us things wear out um don't you hate it when you have to fix something that keeps breaking or you fix it again it's just like you never have to you never have a break the evidence that we're no longer working is that the weeds come up and that the rust takes over. And, and so the evidence of human activity is constantly cutting the weeds back and always fighting all of the decay. We live in a broken world. Things just don't work well. And it's, uh, it's one of the storms that, you know, you, you come around the turn and then, you know, you're going through life okay and the car breaks down. And it's not like you should be surprised cars break down, but they need maintenance and repair. And that's one of the aspects of living in a broken world. So the first thing I'd say that would be a storm is the curse of living in a broken world. The second one, what I would add is the offenses of other people. You know, <clears throat> people are great. We have friends and family that are a real encouragement to us. And by and large, you know, people can be a real positive influence. But at the same time, people have lots of capacity to hurt our feelings and to, and to break our hearts. And we get offended by other people. Other people attack us deliberately. Other people ignore us 
maybe not deliberately. Other people slight us. Other people cut us off. Other people um, say things that hurt our feelings. Other people steal stuff from us. Other people um, uh, will say bad things about us to other people and slander. So we're offended by other people. We live in a world that's full of sinners. I remember as a little boy going out to get my bicycle and all there was was a, a bike chain and the bike was gone. I've had a, a several times a bicycle stolen or a mini bike stolen. And it's just, it's an offense. People steal stuff from us. And, and so it's bad enough that my bicycle would wear out on its own, but then somebody would take it from me anyway. And so I'm sure you could all list the offenses of other people. But that's a true thing. People lie to us. People break promises. People betray us. People use us. People uh, pretend to be our friends when they are not. People who were our friends change their mind. and They're unfaithful. And so people offend us. That's another part of the storms. And, you know, we're, we're getting along okay, and then all of a sudden, bam, another friend says something, somebody we thought we could really trust, and they just completely cut us, stab us in the back. And it's like, it's just like that wind hitting the house. The, 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 the ground starts to, the wall starts to shake because another heavy blow comes into the, of the storm hits the house. And that's what happens when a person offends us and hurts our feelings or does wrong against us. Some of us have experienced huge wrongs. Some of us have been abused or, or terribly treated. These things are, are, are devastating. For They have a huge impact on our lives. And it takes a great miracle of God for us to overcome and forgive these kinds of enemies. Well, a third thing that I thought of as a storm is the decay of our own bodies. And maybe I'm talking like an old man here. And if you're a young person, you don't realize this part of life yet. But man, it won't be long and things just don't work the way they used to work. It takes longer to recover from a, a workout. You get sore and you stay sore longer. The joints start wearing out. Arthritis seeps in. And um, you know, your cognitive ability, I remember you start having trouble remembering things in my 30s, things that used to be just automatic. And, uh, and so our bodies discourage us. What a storm. You know, we think we're doing okay, and then wham, another visit to the doctor. And wham, wham, another kinds of ailment. And what in the world is that one for? And why did, I didn't even know there was a name for that. And, and we see our bodies decaying. It's a storm. And every life has it. It doesn't matter how wealthy or how beautiful or how well positioned you are or how intelligent or how successful you have been in your career. Your body is wearing out. And there's nothing, you matter how much money you throw at it, it's going to wear out. It even takes longer to recover from plastic surgery than it did when you were younger. And so the decay of our bodies is a never-ending storm that just gets worse and worse. Another, excuse me, another aspect of this storm of our life is, is the tyranny of our own selfishness. This is the fourth one on my list. The, the tyranny of our own selfishness. I am continually shocked and dismayed by my own selfishness. There's so many parts of my life that I would have wanted to uh, attribute my motives to other good things. And they, when it boils right down to it, I'm still being very selfish. I heard, 
I, I, the sin of uh, envy, the sin of the way we look at other people and want to have more than them is pervasive. And these are just evidences of our selfishness. We're, in, we're embarrassed to admit that we envy others because it's such a shameful thing to be so petty. And yet that's what it's like to have ourself as boss. Our self bosses me. My bot, myself bosses me around when what's important, what you need to be happy, what you need to be comfortable. And so my own selfishness is like a storm that, that I, you know, we ignore it. Sometimes we pander to it. Sometimes we, we bow down to ourself, but our own self actually winds up pushing us around. We need a new king in our hearts. We are our own worst kings in every way. If you, uh, if you don't think that's true, look at the people who are enslaved to the decisions of their self. What they thought would give them joy only gives them burden now. Addictions are the self gone wild. I can't stop myself. I can't stop myself. Listen to that word. I can't control myself. Myself is in charge of me and it's killing me. What a horrible reality of the storms of life. We think we're doing well and then bam, another strong urge of selfishness rises its head and pushes us down. Another of the storms, the fifth one that I thought of is the weight of sorrow. It's just, there are so many losses in life and the longer you live, the more things you lose. You lose friends because of death. You lose relationships because of fickle people or because of death or disease. We lose, uh, life is just one loss after another. We lose our sense of hearing. We lose our sense of smell and taste, if, especially if you've had COVID, right? And you, you have these different kinds of losses and these things make us sad. And sometimes we wake up and we're just sad without a reason. We're just, our hearts are discouraged. We, we, we tend to be when Jesus saw the people, they were they were like sheep without a shepherd, beaten down and oppressed. He, and he's, he had compassion on those people because the general state of the human being, the general the the natural state is we're discouraged and oppressed. We're overwhelmed by these storms. We're beaten down, and we carry a weight of sorrows. It seems to me that the more you know, the more you hurt, the the more you understand about life, the more the cup of sorrow you drink when there's a setback. You know, we say ignorance is bliss. I think uh, Shakespeare might have said that in one of his plays as well. And, and it's sort of true that it, a fool doesn't know what he's losing. And so it's not so bad. But the more we understand, the wiser we are, the more sorrowful we are over the losses that we experience. The weight of sorrow. And over time, it, it builds up and builds up. The, you you can go to a person and say, tell me three of the things you've lost this year. And we have no problem re, recalling those and sharing those sorrows of our soul. We grieve. They even have stages of grief because we grieve so often. We understand what it means to deny the truth of the sorrow of the loss or, or to be angry about it. A lot of people are angry because of loss and sorrow. Sorrow comes in waves and overwhelms us. We've lost good things. It's not always wrong to be sorrowful. Jesus even said, blessed are those who mourn in this passage, in this, in this Sermon on the Mount. But it's a, it's a sad thing to mourn without hope and to have a weight of sorrow. The sixth thing I saw as a storm of life is the nagging 
fear of insignificance. And this is the idea that when you really put your head at the, your pillow at night and you think to yourself, was it worth it? Am I worth it? Am I any good at all? You know, I haven't watched uh, the whole movie of uh, Saving Private Ryan. Um, and it's uh, it's got some pretty gory war scenes in it that are hard for me to watch. So I, I don't think I've seen the whole thing even. But at the end of it, I have seen the ending a couple of times. And that's the uh, the guy for whom the other guys all died to save his life, Private Ryan, is an old man now. And he comes back to his the grave site in, uh, in Europe where many of the soldiers died, the ones who saved his life. And he looks to his wife and said, was it worth it? Did I, did I live a good enough life? Did I, did I deserve, did I earn the sacrifices that they made? And it's a, it's a it inspiring question. And it's a redemptive movie in that regard to, to think of the sacrifice of another person. But, but look at the truth of that question. Did you and I earn the rights to live? Did we live well enough to deserve some sense of accomplishment? Do we deserve the accolades at our funeral? Do we have, have we, have we been significant? Have we made any difference? Has our life been just, uh, as Shakespeare would say, a, a bunch of noise, like an actor on a stage full of fury and, and meaning nothing, accomplishing nothing, going back and forth, back and forth, like an actor on a stage and producing and accomplishing nothing. What a, what a tragedy is when Solomon talks about the, the fool, the rich man who has everything, and he says, for what am I working? What am I profiting? There's nobody to even share it with. And his whole life is a waste. And, and Solomon would say, I tried to find significance in all kinds of things, in, in artwork and in, in architecture and science and in botany and all of the things that I did. And it was all a, a, a nothing, a chasing after the wind. It was insignificant. What a terrifying storm to run into the fact that your life is, means nothing. People aren't going to remember what you did. They aren't going to remember the roads that you built or the trees that you cut down or the, the problems that you solved at work. or They don't even remember the lives you saved. If you're a front lines worker who saves people's lives, people, we are, we are nagged by the fear that our lives don't mean anything. And certainly this is true apart from the Lord Jesus. It's really, I have to say, the gospel is the only thing that gives us any significance at all. It doesn't matter how significant you are. And Jesus himself would say, what, would, what benefit would there be if you gain the whole world? and still lose your soul, you, you are insignificant apart from Jesus. And so one of the storms, you know, we might be going along good. Maybe your body isn't decaying right now. And maybe you don't feel especially heavy weight of sorrow. And all of a sudden you look in the mirror and say, what am I living for? And it's like the wind gusts heavier and you feel the rafters rattling. <laughs> the nagging fear, I'm worth nothing. I'm making no difference at all. And then, of course, my seventh and last thing that I mentioned to Storm is the certainty of death itself. We see death happen to others if we live long enough. We fear death happening to ourselves, and that fear just gets realer and realer as we live longer and we see the decay of our body. But the idea that our life would be taken from us, that we would have to give up our spirit, that 
we would be separated from our body. None of us want to die. And, and sadly, these other storms in our lives are so great that sometimes they drive a person even to take their own life. And yet they're just adding another sorrow upon sorrow. And they're bringing about their own destruction because of these storms of life. And so even the fear of and the certainty of death itself is a storm. And it rattles and rattles our cages and, and rattles us down to our, our bones and our knees are weak because we face the horrible storms. You see, Jesus in this illustration, he tells us again, he said, the rain comes down, the streams rise, there's a flood coming, and the winds blow and they puff and they blow and they shake and rattle and they beat against the house. And it happens to both the wise and the foolish. There isn't any difference. There's no separation. Everybody has these same experiences, by and large. Some have them in a different order. Some have them to a different degree. But we all feel those powers in our lives. We all feel the tyranny of our own selfishness. We all fear the nagging fear of our insignificance. We all struggle. So there's the speaker, God himself, the one who's coming to save us from our sins. And he's going to give us a message that's going to make a difference. And he wraps it all up and he doesn't go on and on and on like I'm going on and on. He just says it short and sweet. He says, this is the scoop. This is the deal here. If you listen to me, listen to my words and put them into practice because a storm is coming. And whether or not you listen to me makes all the difference in the storm. And so that's the next part of my message then is, the first part is the speaker. The second part is the storm that comes to both characters in the story, the wise and the foolish. And now the third point is the foundations. What is the foundation of these two different persons, the wise and the foolish? Let's read it again. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so the foundation of the wise man is a rock. A rock is a metaphor for the foundation. And that, that rock foundation is the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the essence of Jesus's person. The verse actually uses the word logos, the, the words logos. It's the same word as that in the beginning was the logos and the logos was God and the logos was with God. You see, Jesus himself is the word of God. So everyone who hears these logical words, these, these meaningful symbols, these things that tell you what matter, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. The person who hears these words and put them into practice, this is how you're to pray to my Father. This is how you're to give your gifts. This is what you're to seek first, the kingdom of heaven. All of these words, they matter. And if we put them into practice, it's like a person who builds their house on the rock. So the rain comes down, the storms rise, and the winds blow and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall for the wise man because, Jesus says, it had its foundation on the rock. The house that has the right foundation, the foundation is able to endure the rain, the floods, and the wind. The foundation is stronger than the storm. 
is such an encouragement word, an encouraging word when you think about it, that there is a foundation. There is a place you can go. There is a way to live. There is a viewpoint of life that is greater than all of those horrible aspects of the storm of life. You can be known as a person who has confidence and poise in the face of the storm because you know that your foundation is strong. Can you imagine the man in the house who knows this and he's in his house and and the walls shake from the wind and somebody looks at him with their eyes wide open. Daddy, is it going to stand up? Is it going to be okay? And he says, it's fine, honey. Don't worry. We have a foundation. We know where we stand. We know what we're built on. We're not going to fall. The storm can't hurt us. It cannot destroy us. That's what it's like to have a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus goes on, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So sand is an anti-foundation. It's a non-foundation. It's the it's grains of sand that blow and wash away, and there's no strength to it. You can even if standing in the sand you sink down. Walking in sand is hard work because it's not stable. And so sand is is as as wishy-washy as water, except it's not water. But in some cases it's almost worse because it's so susceptible to the, the waves of the sea, the rain, the washing, and the storming, and the winds. And so what moves sand around? Wind moves sands around. Water and floods move sand around. Rain moves sand around. See, the sand is not a foundation at all that cannot endure. And so look at what Jesus says. The rain came down, the same storm. The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. He just says that the house falls. He doesn't even say, he, in the other passage, when he talks about the rock, he says, it stand because it had its foundation on the rock. But he doesn't even bother to say it fell because there was no foundation. He doesn't even mention the foundation in this second part of the story because there is no foundation. Sand doesn't even get, qualify as a foundation. It's all nothing. It's nothing. And so Jesus says, that the wind and the waves come in that house and it fell with a great crash. You see, the foundations make all the difference. It's true that if you follow Jesus and put him as your number one treasure, seeking first his kingdom and loving him above all else, that that foundation sorts out life and it gives you something that lasts longer than this life. It even washes away the fear of death because perfect love drives out fear. When you know that Jesus loves you, when you understand that you have a relationship with him by grace through faith, that he has loved you and he died for you and bore all of your penalty on the tree, when you and I understand that we have a foundation for life that is strong, we still have the storms, we still have the wind blow, but down deep inside, we are unshaken. We are not afraid. We are characterized by all things of people as, as people of hope and joy because we know where it's going to go. We know how it's going to turn out. We're going to be okay because we're already okay with God. So the speaker is Jesus. The storm is the same for wise and foolish, but the foundations of their lives are different. And my last point is the results are different. 
in the end, it matters. It matters not only for how we live now, because it is a great joy to know that you're on a foundation, but you're still going through the storm. You still have to go through the storms of life. That's what it's like here. But the point is, is that there's a result at the end as well. So there's benefits for having a house on the foundation while the storm is happening. But look at when the storms are over. Verse 25, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. If your foundation is right, if your foundation is on the teachings of Jesus and on Him, him Jesus himself, then the foundation is him, and the result is you do not fall. It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Can you believe, if you think about what it promised, do you understand how great it is to know that you are not going to fall, that you are not going to be thrown into hell, that you are not going to be regarded as one who's insignificant, that you are not going to be regarded as one whose life ended at death, that you are not one who is going to be known as being uh, tyrannized by your own selfishness, that you and I know that we can, we can overcome these things, we will not fall. In the end, in the final analysis, we will stand because our foundation is on the rock. But the, the result for the fool, the result for the person who will not bend the knee to Jesus and admit that they need him, the result is the exact opposite. In verse 27, the rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus, the, the Greek here is it fell with a fall that was mega, a mega fall. It was a huge fall. It was a disastrous fall. It fell because there was no foundation. And you can just visualize the rivers gushing and, and pouring the and pulling the sand underneath the house and it starts to creak and, and tilt and the wind's blowing the sand and, and the, the wall's starting to cave in and, and it falls and it's a huge and terrible crash. It is a mega fall. It is a horrible way to live. It is a frightening thing to know that your foundation cannot survive the storms of life. And the more frightened you are, the more you try to bolster it up and you go outside and board up the windows more and you add more more structures to try to make it different. Maybe you use drugs or you do something else to try to evade the pain of how awful it is to not know where you're going. And all it does is add more and more damage, more more duct tape and banding wire, trying to hold it all together, and it's not going to work because there's no foundation. You're, you're living the wrong way. You're out of touch with God himself, and God is obligated by his own and perfect holiness to let you have exactly what you want, and that is your own way, and your own way is the way of destruction. And so we build our house without a foundation. The winds and the storm of life comes, and when death is the final storm who faces us, we die, and we die alone and without Jesus, and we go into an eternity of hell. It's a mega fall. It's the fall of falls. It's the end of all hope in life. You see, that's what the speaker would say to us. He comes to us and, and he makes it clear, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. I came to save the world. I'm the speaker. I know what I'm talking about. You need to listen to me. I know you don't like everything I say, but you need to listen to me and submit to it. I am the King Eternal, and you need to understand 
that my words are the only words, that my person is the only person upon which you can base your life. Because the storms are coming. The storms are already here. And you will not endure the storm unless your foundation is on the one foundation that stands. And that rock is Jesus. The rock of Jesus is the foundation of our lives. And the result is, if you stand on me, you will never fall. And you will enter into a glorious inheritance with me forever and ever. But if you refuse to listen to my words and lay the foundation in your life of my teaching, if you refuse to become uh, one of my people and accept my free gift of salvation, then the results are up to you. You get exactly what you want. A few years on a sandy place with much turmoil and much fear ending in a hopeless and Christless eternity. Well, I hope that that has been described you. And Jesus would hope the same. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, you don't want to bear it anymore. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you a place that's secure and safe. I love you. You're okay in me. I paid for your sin. You're okay. You don't need to be worried about your significance. I make you significant. Trust me, and I'll bring you home. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the salvation you provide in the Lord Jesus. We pray for those around us that we love and, and that we know that have built their lives on sand. All of us start out building our lives on sand. That's all we can think of. And no matter how pretty we make things, our foundation is false. So, Father, if there's anyone who's heard my words today who does not yet believe in Jesus, may Jesus' own warning come true in their hearts. May they hear and see his good truth and to see his death on the cross as their substitute for them and that they will see his love and follow and respond to him. In his name we pray. Amen.